Good evening. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, be turning to the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. This is going to be a very familiar scripture, a very familiar story to you when you get there. The Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, will be good. begin reading there in a few minutes. Let me say this while you're turning there. Everyone goes through a time in their faith of doubt. Every one of us at some point in time has probably experienced some amount of doubt in our faith. Uh, Mother Teresa had doubts. And she once wrote her spiritual director, and I want to read this so I don't mess it up, but this is what Mother Teresa said to her spiritual director. She said, when I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God lives in me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Well, her spiritual director reassured her with a very basic message. And that message is this. The fact that you have doubts in your faith means that your faith is real. In other words, this is what I want you to understand. No doubts, no testing. No testing, no real faith. You show me an individual that has never experienced doubt in their faith, and I will show you a day-old faith or I will show you, even worse, a pretend faith or a fake faith. You know, sometimes we doubt. I doubt, you doubt, we all doubt. But sometimes we doubt that God even hears our prayers. You know, sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray, and we've all heard of those instances where people pray for years before they finally get that answer. And you know, that takes a certain degree of faith just to hang on that long. You know, the problem is we live in an instantaneous world where we all want satisfaction and we want it now, and we all look in the microwave now and we're hollering, hurry up! And that's kind of the way we want to equip things to God. We want to pray to God, and bada boom, bada bing, just like that, bam, there is the answer. But you know, sometimes we wonder and we doubt when we hear about a young child suffering or dying, sometimes we doubt God's goodness. Or, you know, sometimes something else will happen. Uh, we, we hear about or we know or we see a person that is mean, that is bad, that is evil. And it seems like everything always works out for them. It just, everything falls into place. Nothing ever goes wrong and they succeed. And we wonder why. And sometimes we get it on a personal level because we go through a very big personal challenge. 
of some shape, form, or fashion that causes us to doubt. So everyone has doubts. But here's the thing, folks. I want you to understand that doubts are actually good for you. Now, you're probably sitting there going, now, preacher, why would you say something like that? The reason I say that doubts are good for you is because it drives you back to the risen Lord for answers. Because a lot of things are going on in our old world today and a lot of people are looking for a lot of answers in a lot of places except the one that counts and that's the Lord God Almighty. Now if you have your Bibles today and you've turned to that 20th chapter, I want to begin reading in verse 19. John 20, look in verse 19. This will be very familiar. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, now, this is the same day that Jesus resurrected. You remember, first thing in the morning, He resurrected from the tomb, and the same day in the evening, First day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Well, I'm here to tell you, if I would have been one of that entourage, I don't care if that door would have been shut and locked, I would have made a new exit when Jesus appeared on the scene. But then look at verse 20, and it says, When he had said such, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now I want you to jump down to verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the prints of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Keep your Bibles open to the Gospel of John. We will be looking at some other verses here in this book later on. Let me visit with you for a while today about defeating doubt. Now, all of us should be familiar with this story about Thomas. And we know that Thomas got a bad rap. You know, he even earned the nickname Downing Thomas. Yet Thomas was just as committed to Jesus as any of the other disciples were, perhaps even more so in some ways. Just days before or weeks before that very first Palm Sunday, 
Jesus told the disciples that he had to go to Bethany to see about his good friend Lazarus who was very sick. And all the disciples, they did not want him to go, including doubting Thomas. They were afraid for his life. They cautioned him away from the idea because of all the animosity and all the hatred that was boiling up towards him in nearby Jerusalem. Yet Thomas responded, and you find this in the 11th chapter of John, the 16th verse, if you want to turn there real quick. But he says, let us go with him that we may die with him. That's what he said. Let us go also that we may die with him. Folks, I want you to see, and this is what I was telling you, that Thomas was very committed to the Lord. He is demonstrating in that verse his love and his courage. Now, I want you to understand that the disciples didn't necessarily understand why Jesus had to die, but they were loyal to Him. So, okay, this doubting Thomas, he, he's a little pessimistic, but you have to give him an A for bravery. I mean, he was willing to stick his neck out there for Jesus. He was willing to put his life on the line for Jesus. And it was Thomas that a little later on in verse or chapter 14 uh, responded to Jesus' assurance of heaven. You know, John 14, you're probably all familiar with it. I've used it no telling how many times in funerals. But Jesus was telling his disciples in John 14 that he had to go away to prepare a place. And that place was heaven. And, and he told them that they knew the way. But here was good old Thomas, the guy that was willing to ask the question that everybody had on their mind, but nobody was willing to say anything. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And I'm real glad that he asked that question because that prompted Jesus to respond. And you find this in John 14, 5 and 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, that's some of the greatest verses there is in the Bible right there. So we see that Thomas, yes, he had his gutsy moments. But by the time that Jesus went to the cross, where was Thomas? Nowhere to be found. Matter of fact, none of the disciples was found at the foot of the cross except one. And that is the one whose book we're looking at today. That was John. Everyone else had fled. They'd scattered to the four winds. It, it was like they were cowering in fear that they were uh, trying to find self-preservation. Preservation. It's kind of like this COVID-19 deal that everybody's tired from and, and running from. But on that first Easter morning, we see that the two Marys encountered the risen Lord along with Peter and John. And then in the Scripture that we read today, we see then that same evening... The disciples, ten of them, 
met Jesus face to face in that room. Just like that. And I want you to notice how Christ spoke to their doubts. Peace be with you, He says. He showed them His hands. He showed them His sight. In other words, He wanted them to understand that it was Him that was standing before them. The same guy that hung on that cross. There wasn't any doubt in anybody's mind. It was really Him. But where was Thomas? We don't know. We're not for sure, but we can imagine the shock that Thomas felt when the others told him, we have seen him. He's alive, Thomas. We saw him with our very eyes. We were in this room all locked up together, and there he was. We have seen it. And what does Thomas do? He's the original Missourian. Show me. He said, unless I can put my finger in the nail print, unless I can put my hand in his side, I will not believe. So let's think about Thomas today. The example like him. And go through our own times of doubt. And how we can defeat our doubts. Three things that I want to point out to you today. The first one is to be on guard in your low times. Be on guard in your low times. When you are really down, when you are really out, when you are really depressed, don't make rash decisions. In those times where you, you get into that situation, and I know I've been there in my life, where it seems like everything I try, everything I do is destined to fail. It's like, okay, we just got to keep plugging along. We just got to keep going. So we're going to take another step, and we're going to take another step. And then we get knocked down again, and we have to back up five and start all over again. Be on guard in your low times. No matter what's going on in your life, don't make rash decisions, and don't. The last thing you want to do is panic. You know, don't go out and buy a new car. Don't go out and buy a new house. Don't decide to move. Don't decide to get married. Don't decide to get divorced. You know, because you have to give yourself time to work through whatever is going on in your life. You have to work through those low times before you act impulsively. So, it is with us just like it was with Thomas. We have doubts. Don't give in to those doubts in the midst of your low times, whatever's going on in your life. Just recognize them for what they are. Doubts. Okay, you have doubts. You know what that means? That means you have faith. Good job. And your faith is bigger than your doubts. And I will tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt today that God is definitely bigger than your doubts. 
And certainly, you need to understand that Thomas was in a downtime. Jesus has been crucified. His Lord has been crucified. His life was in jeopardy. All of his hopes have been dashed. Maybe that's why he was away. Maybe he was trying to deal with what was going on in his life. Maybe he just wanted to grieve by himself. We don't know. But fortunately, the thing I want you to see is he didn't do anything rash. He got a hold of himself. And eventually, he returned to his friends, his fellow disciples. And I want to point something out here before I go on. I want you to notice in our text today that Jesus was not harsh on Thomas because of his death. Despite his skepticism, Thomas was still loyal to the other believers. He was still loyal to Jesus himself. And I want you to understand that some people need to doubt before they can believe. You know, and here's, here's what... I want you to understand, if that leads to questions, and questions lead to answers, and those answers are accepted, then doubt has done a good work. It's when doubt becomes stubbornness, and stubbornness becomes a prideful lifestyle that doubt harms faith. When you doubt, don't stop there. Let your doubt deepen your faith as you continue to search for the answers you're looking for. And when Thomas went back to his friends, his other disciples, that reminds us of another doubt defeater, which is my second point, draw strength from others. Draw strength from others. It was when Thomas was by himself it was when he was away that his doubts were kind of holding him hostage, you might say. Isolation magnified Thomas's doubt. He missed Jesus. He missed Jesus' visit. Why? Because he had left his fellow believers. You see, folks, you separate a lump of coal from the fire and what happens to it? It goes out. Just like that, it goes out. So think about this. Have you ever wished that you could actually see Jesus? That you could actually touch Him? Hear His words? Are there times that you would just like to sit down and say, Hey Jesus, can we talk? I need your advice. That would be neat, wouldn't it? Well, Thomas wanted Jesus' physical presence. But God's plan was bigger than that. God's plan was wiser than that because He, Jesus, has not limited Himself to one physical body. He wants to be present with all of us at all times. And even now, He is with you he is with me in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that. You can talk to Him. You can find His words in the pages of the Bible. He can be just as real to you as He was to Thomas. So we need each other. 
When you feel least like being in church, you know, have you ever got up on Sunday and just went, man, I don't feel like going to church today. All those people. Boy, we got a bunch here. <laughs> but you don't want to go to church for whatever reason. That's when you need to go to church the most. When you most want to hide in your home and just be by yourself and be alone. Oh, there's too much going on in my life. I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to be left alone. That's when you need to force yourself to get out and be with others. I want you to look around. I want you to look around. I, I wish there was more people here today. But I want you to look around. And the reason I want you to look around is together we are the body of Christ. We are a body of believers. And when one hurts, the whole body hurts. When one celebrates, the whole body celebrates. You know, the Bible tells us where two or more are gathered, Jesus is in our midst. And He is. Now, if you look at all of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, Christ almost always appeared to groups of people, not individuals. Just like that Sunday morning. There was Mary. There was Mary. There was Peter. There was John. How about the two dudes on the Emmaus road? And then the Bible told us, and we just read it, He appeared to the ten disciples. About a week later, he appeared to 11 disciples. Later on, he appears to 500 people. And after that, he appears to 120 folks that are gathered for Pentecost. So Jesus seemed to honor groups. And, and the reason I'm bringing this out is so that you understand we need each other. Why? To fight off our doubts. If you can't rely on your church family, who in the world are you going to rely on? We have to be there for each other. And the last thing that I want to point out, to defeat those doubts, we need to meet the risen Lord. We need to meet the risen Lord. That's what did it for Thomas. What did he do? Go back to your text. What did he do? He missed it the first time. Said, I'm not going to believe unless I can see him, basically. Well, then he was there the next time. And what does the Bible tell us when he saw Jesus? He fell to the ground and he said, My Lord and my God. That's what it did for him. So you see... Scripture indicates that he didn't need to touch Jesus' scars. For him, seeing was believing, as it was for all the other eyewitnesses. You know, one argument for the certainty of the resurrection is that these people talked about it. Not only did they talk about it, they wrote about it and even died for their beliefs. And I want you to understand that this time that we're talking about was a very dangerous time in history. Because, you know, it was a very dangerous time 
to express one's faith in Christ. You know, you had this hostile, distrusting Roman government, and you had the cunning, protective Jewish religious elite. And do you understand and do you realize that all but one of the, the disciples died as martyrs? Did you know that? All but one of them gave their life talking about, speaking about Jesus Christ with their very last breath. Some of you may have heard of a fellow by the name, and I hope I pronounce his name right, Lee Strobel. <clears throat> you may be sitting there going, no preacher, I don't know who Lee Strobel is. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. By trade, Lee was an attorney and an investigative journalist. You heard of him, Joe Boy? Yeah, we're going to get there in a minute. Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> but he was a, a, a journalist and, and, and an attorney. And according to him, that was two of the most skeptical careers that you could get involved in. Well, he was an, a devout atheist, is what he was. And he set out what he wanted to do. He wanted to disprove his fiance's Christian's belief, her Christian faith. In other words, he wanted to come up with evidence that Christ actually rose from the dead. That was his goal. Well, in his research, he ended up becoming a devout believer. And this is what he said. He said it would take more faith for me to remain an atheist than to believe. And he wrote a book which later become a movie called The Case for Christ. And in, in that book, in that movie, he talks about how people no doubt will lie. But people will not give their life for a lie. Yet each of the disciples except one died because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Proclaiming Jesus had risen. So that leads me to the burning question of the day. What about us? What about us? Well, I want you to look in verse 29 of our text because Jesus speaks directly to us there in verse 29. It says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Talking about Thomas. But then he adds, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't that the essence of true faith? To believe without seeing? You know, there's so many people that think and tell themselves, well, I would believe in this Jesus guy if I could just see a definite sign. If I could just see a miracle happen. But Jesus says we are blessed if we can believe without seeing. We have all the proof we need in the words of the Bible. And in the testimony of believers, a physical appearance would not make Jesus any more real to us than he was real to Thomas. That was doubted. 
But you know, one of these days, someday, we won't need faith anymore because we shall behold Him face to face. But until then, we put our hope in the risen Lord. Even though we don't have all the answers, we wish we did, but we don't. And we trust that in the future He will reveal those answers to us. And if He don't, we may have to wait to get to heaven to find out the answers. And it just won't matter anymore. Meanwhile, God gives us evidence of His existence every day. You know, we hear Him speak to us to our thoughts as we read Scripture. This is the reason why I tell you all the time it's so important to have a quiet time where you spend time in God's Word, where you spend time in praying. And I didn't say spend time trying to tell God what to do. What you need to be doing is spending time praying and then listening We see Him in the beauty of His creation and, and the love through the kind hand of a friend or a spouse. We, he, we see His redemptive works when someone finds purpose in their lives or meaning or peace. We see His faithfulness day after day. You know, a lot of people walk around in this old world thinking they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof that they're doing it in their own strength, they're doing it in their own might, they're doing it in their own power, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you are not walking alone. We should be motivated by the others that are living proof, that are following in faith. You know, let's go back to the same Mother Teresa. And she had doubts. But you know what she did even in her doubts? She persisted in her faith. Every day she persisted in her faith. And what about this example we've looked at today? Thomas himself, who tradition tells us would later go on and spread the gospel through India where he would eventually give his life for God. So as I start winding this down this evening, we resonate on the words of Peter. No doubt who was recalling this particular event when Thomas got to see the risen Lord. Many years later, Peter would write to young believers in 1 Peter 8 and 9. It says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, faith brings salvation. And faith brings the promise of a day when pain will end. A day when perfect justice will begin. Faith will be rewarded and evil will be punished. But what should we do until then? How do we carry on? The Bible answers that question 
And it's a real simple answer, but it's not easy. Because we know the future. We must faithfully serve God here and now. And my challenge to you, brothers and sisters, is this. If there was ever a time God Almighty needed you serving Him, it is in this day and time. I'm not saying, preacher, I'll get around to that next month. If it fits into my schedule, I'm telling you, you need to be serving now. Amen. So what does that mean for us? If that means resolving a conflict, then resolve it. If that means mending a hurt, then mend it. If that means working a dull job, living a boring lifestyle, that's what you do. If it means confronting a ill-mannered, cantankerous, belligerent child, that's what you need to do. If it means rebuilding a marriage, then rebuild it. Start at the ground, put a foundation under it, and go from there. Or if it means just sitting around waiting for guidance and direction, then sit around and wait for guidance and direction. And for goodness gracious sakes alive, folks, if it means forgiving someone, get to it. Don't be waiting another day. Do it all with joy. Do it all with the joy of God who will return with His reward. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You so much, Heavenly Father. For all the blessings that you give us, Father, your love, your mercy, your grace. Father, thank you for your protection, and we pray for your continued protection as we go through this crazy time of this pandemic and all this rioting that's going on, Father. And Father, help us deal with our doubt. Just like Thomas, who was a very real guy who had very real doubts, and he wanted evidence over blind faith. And Jesus, we saw in your word today that you met him right where he was, right in the middle of his doubt. And we thank you that you will do the same for each one of us. Help us to take care when we're feeling down. And when we're in that situation, Father, just help us to surround ourselves with loving believers. And then to bring our doubts to you where we're going to find the real answers to our problem. Help us experience the risen Lord knowing that you are more sufficient in all ways. That you are bigger than our doubts. That you can help us overcome all of those things that are waiting us down. Father, as we leave this place today, just guide us and direct us. Watch over us and care for us, Father. Just protect us. And help us continually serve you.
There are so many ways we can do that. Forgive us where we fail you, Father. Be with all the folks that we talked about that are in need, that needs your healing hand. Father, be with all of our doctors, our nurses, our EMT workers, all those that are on the front line trying to do some good during this troubled time. Father, just bring us back at the next appointed time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.